good to be here. Hope everyone's doing all right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so my name's Harry. I'm, I kind of moved up into Cheltenham uh, September, so like eight, nine months ago. Uh, and before that, I was living in Haywood Sea. Has anyone heard of Haywood Sea? Yeah. Yes. yes, that's exciting. Um, so Haywood Sea is like a small town in Sussex, and it's one of those kind of places you tend to like go and drive through to get somewhere else. Um, and so I was born and raised there, and uh, the kind of biggest, best place nearby is Brighton, big town, Brighton on the coast. And a couple, uh, a couple months ago now, probably April-ish, early April, sunny day, I was in Sussex with a couple mates. And you know that like April kind of day where you're like, woo, winter's over, come on, let's do some stuff. Well, it was one of those sorts of days, and we were kind of thinking, like, what do we do? Do we frisbee, walk, you know, get coffee or whatever? And we're thinking, no, we want to do something like fun. Like, we want to do something kind of exciting. And then one of us goes, hey, well, how, what about the kayak? Um, and last year, I bought a kayak, um, like an inflatable one, to go out and do stuff on like rivers and lakes and stuff. But why don't we get that out? And then we're like, well, what do we do with it? And we're like, ah, oh, hold on. Let's go to Brighton, let's pump it up, and let's like kayak around Brighton Pier. And we were like, great idea, let's do it. So we kind of got the stuff, got it into the car, and as we were like getting it all together, I kind of said to my two mates, Bobby and Pete, I was like, guys, this is a two-person kayak, and there's three of us. And we all kind of stopped for a second, and we were like, ah, it'll be fine, let's keep going. So we kind of put it into the car, drove down... Um, into Brighton and kind of got it out on the beachfront and start pumping it up. And this is Brighton, right? So there's like wacky people with like chihuahuas walking past and stuff. And kind of thinking, oh, this is kind of a bit weird. But anyway, um, pumping it up. And I like look in the bag and I'm like, well, hold on, guys, hold on. Like, there's, only, there's only one oar. And then we all stop and we think, now nah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. No worries. Absolutely all good. And, and we kind of get it all ready and start walking down the beach. And I'd found a pair of like pineapple sunglasses in Pete's car that I would put on and was wearing as we walked down. And we kind of get to the sea, and we like dip our toes in, freezing cold, obviously, it's April. Um, look at the waves, fairly moderate. Look at the pier, 500 meters away. And we kind of think, hmm, that is quite far. But we think, we'll be fine. We'll be fine, no worries. And just to be clear, right, this is cold water, relatively big waves, 500 meters of kayaking, three people in a two-person kayak with one oar. We'll be fine. No worries. All, all good. I don't know if you can tell, but my mates, um, Pete and Bobby, are quite confident people. In fact, they're extremely confident people. And one of the things I feel like I've learned hanging out with them is that um, confidence can make a big difference to the way in which you live your life. I think if you're confident, you try stuff. You're maybe not so worried if things aren't going to go well. Uh, you, know, you're, you have this approach to life of like, yeah, it'd be fine. We'll do it. Confidence is significant, right? And to be clear, you can be overconfident, um, and you can have your confidence in the wrong thing, um, but confidence affects the way in which we approach life. And uh, my question today is, as Christians, as a church, as Trinity, do we live with confidence in the way in which we live out uh, Faith, And if we do live with confidence, is that self-confidence or is that confidence based on something more than just ourselves? Um, you know, when we walked down to the beach, we were ultra self-confident. Uh, you know, three people, two-person kayak and one, or we'll be fine. We weren't. 
we were not fine. We like pushed off, got hit by a wave, kind of got through it, got hit by a second wave, water starting to like pour into the kayak. Then the kayak like spins because the wave's like moving. So then we're trying to overcompensate and spin the other way and we're like shouting and suddenly another wave hits us and then I'm like in the middle between the two seats and like the kayak is like bending under my weight and then more and more water's coming in and it feels like I'm like in an ice bath but like in the sea at the same time and somehow I realize I've completely lost my pineapple sunglasses and I don't know where they went and it's kind of, oh, what's going on? And we start bailing out, we're trying to get the water out of the kayak and then someone says, look, you're just going to have to jump out. So I like haul myself out of the kayak, like ready to swim, because we've been at this for about 15 or 20 minutes. And I like get off into the kayak and I fall into the water and my knees just hit the floor and I stand up and the water comes up <laughs> to like our waist. And it's like, guys, we look like idiots. You know, we kind of turn around and see all the people that we like confidently strolled past earlier and we just think, oh man, this is embarrassing. Um, this is embarrassing. Too confident, I think it's probably fair to say. A little bit too, too confident. Confidence, but the Christian kind of confidence we're going to look at today is not that. Um, it is a, it's not rash or reckless. It's a considered confidence, not in us, but in God. And today is Ascension Sunday, uh, where we, as you know, the church celebrate the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven. And I believe that the ascension is the grounds for a significant amount of confidence that we can have in our everyday life. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24, verse 50, uh, and we're going to go for three things, specifically three things that we can have confidence about because of the ascension. So, Luke 24, verse 50, bit of context, Jesus lived, died on the cross, rose again, He's been risen for 40 days now, and in that time he's been doing stuff and seeing people and eating food and teaching and doing miracles and all, you know, standard Jesus stuff. And it says, verse 50, he leads his disciples out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And the account in the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. This is, this is the ascension. This is the moment where Jesus ceases being existent physically on earth and moves to being existent physically in heaven. And for them, they understood that as Jesus ascending literally upwards into heaven. That, that's the ascension. That is the ascension right, right there. The first thing... I believe is really important is that this affects the way in which we understand like our salvation. So as a Christian, when I first became a Christian, so you know, when I first said, like, yeah, I want to be a believer, it was at a church service, and it was one of those kind of, hey, if you want forgiveness, then like come forward and be prayed for. And when you get prayed for, you kind of say a bit of a kind of thank you, sorry, please, like thank you, God. Sorry, I, you know, I've mess, made a mess of things, you know, please could you forgive me? And kind of prayed that and then kind of went back into everyday life and started to kind of, you know, live life and do stuff. And, and then eventually I started to fall into the patterns previously that I'd kind of asked for forgiveness for. And when I did, I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I just asked for forgiveness for this and it's still going. What do I do? Well, I'm a Christian now, so I know what I've got to do. I've got to do a bit of prayer. 
and do a little Bible reading. We've got to make sure I wake up, you know, get early to church and all this sort of thing. And then, you know, I would come to another church service, then ask for the same thing again. Like, hey, does anyone want to be a Christian? If you do, come forward and you can, you know. And I sat there and thought, I know I prayed it last time, but I'm not sure if it worked. Do I need to pray it again? You know, and, oh, yeah, I'll pray it again. And not going to lie, this happened like two, maybe three times. And this might be similar to your experience, I don't know. But, yeah, I just have this sense of, yeah, I am uncertain as to whether or not I've been forgiven. I'm uncertain about God's, you know, uh, you know uh, opinion of me, what he thinks of me. I'm not sure. I'm not certain. In the Old Testament, they had priests that ran the temple. And if you were you know, a, a normal person, if you sinned, uh, or you felt like you'd done something wrong, you'd go to the priest and you'd go through a series of things to kind of get right with God. And what, you know, some of this washing, ceremonial washing, and the priest would do this kind of little ceremony, and it would involve the sacrifice of an animal. But critically, every time you did one of those things, it only counted for that thing. And you'd have to you'd go back, and if you felt like, oh man, I, I feel like I've messed up again, you'd go back and you'd do it again, and then you go and you do it again, and you go and you do it again. And every single time, it was only just for that one time. Only just for that one time. This is, uh, we're going to read from Hebrews. I think the verse will pop up. I haven't got it written down here. I probably should do. Um, Hebrews says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. And I wonder, do you ever feel like you're a bit like this? Like day after day, you have to perform your religious duties. Your certain Bible, your certain praying, your certain got to do the good thing, the good thing, this thing, that thing. Like there's a, there's a sense of day after day, in order to ensure that I'm in the good books, the good books, I've got to do this stuff, and day after day. I feel like I felt like that when I was a first Christian. But here's the thing, because if our confidence for whether or not we've been forgiven is dependent on what we can do, then we will never be confident that we have actually been forgiven. That verse says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice. But the next line says this, but they can never take away sins. They can never take away sins. Day after day, but they can never take away sins. Sins. Here's the next line. But when Jesus, when this priest, this is Jesus, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice forever. It's interesting. Look at the contrast in this verse, right? The temple priest stands day after day doing the same sorts of sacrifice. Jesus, however, sits. Jesus has ascended into heaven. 
Right, that verse of Mark said, and he is seated in the heavenly places. The temple stands, Jesus sits. Sacrifices again and again and again, Jesus having offered one sacrifice and completed it all. It's like when you kind of get home from a long day at work or something like that, you put your bag on the floor, you kick your shoes off and you sit on the sofa because your work is done. You're done. There's no more that needs to be accomplished. When we turn to him, we can be confident that our sins have been done away with. And when you turn to God after you've messed up, do you feel like you have that confidence? Are you stressing about your sin or are you resting in his salvation? Are you standing or are you sitting? Are you standing or are you sitting? Jesus' ascension provides us with confidence that Jesus is not stressing, so I don't have to either. I can be confident of my salvation. The other day I was, uh, I was reading a book, and uh, it's like a kind of psychology um, sociology book about kind of the way that people are and, and, and stuff. And it's interesting, they did a little experiment. And the experiment essentially was that they talked to different people from different places around the world, from different backgrounds, and they asked the same question. And they measured what kind of response people gave to the question. And the question was really simple. It was, who are you? And if you're from a Western background, you're more likely to answer the question like, well, I'm a accountant or delivery driver or whatever, and I do this with my spare time. I play football or I watch TV or whatever, and I'm part of this club, etc. Essentially, your identity, supposedly, according to the study, if you're kind of from a Western background, kind of hinges on the kind of choices that you've made, right? But interestingly, apparently, if you're not from a Western background, um, then you're more likely to kind of say, well, my identity comes from the fact that I'm from this place, uh, or, you know, I'm connected to this family, or I have this sort of heritage. Essentially, things that are not dependent on your choices, but more about family and background and stuff. And you have to you know, look it up for more. It's probably, you know, you'll find it on the internet. But the point is that it's interesting that where you are affects how you consider and how you understand your identity. In Ephesians, Paul talks about Jesus' ascension into heaven. And it says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Same image, Jesus rising from the dead, then ascending into heaven. And there he is seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion. It's kind of like when you finish Mario Kart and you kind of have the little, you know, the bit at the end, the animated bit where if you're first, you sit at the top. And if you're second, you sit third, second. And then, you know, that, that podium, like third, second, first. And if you're at the top, if you're victorious, then you're higher up than kind of everything else. Jesus is victorious over all things. Over everything. And this isn't a contrast to the bit from Hebrews earlier about Jesus like chilling. It's, it's the same thing. Jesus is sitting because he is victorious. His work is done because he is victorious. And you might think, well, what's that got to do with me? Well, this is the interesting thing. Paul says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, and God raised us up. 
with Christ and seated us up in the heavenly realms also. It's a little bit mind-boggling because you might think, well, I'm here. I'm not up there. How does that kind of work? Well, here's the thing. Paul believes that if you have your faith in Jesus, if you have become a believer, it's not just that you've had your sins forgiven. It's also that in some way you've been united with Christ. You've been you know, united with him, and this changes your identity. You know, according to the experiment, who are you? Well, where are you? Well, you're here, you know, you live in Cheltenham, you, you work in Gloucester, you're from that ta- you know, town somewhere, or you're, you're attached to this club, or you support this team, or you, you know, do this with your time, or whatever else it might be. And that's all good, and that's all true, but that's not all that there is. You are also somewhere else. You are spiritually united with Jesus. And Jesus has ascended into the heavenly realms and is seated at the right hand of God, victorious. Who are you? Well, where are you? Well, you're here, but you're also there. Which means you're this, but you're also that. You are also a royal son or daughter of God. You are also victorious over all things. You will also be, when all things are wrapped up and kind of come together, you will also be above every power and every authority and every dominion and every rule. You're here, but you're also there. You're there, you're also that. That's what Paul says. It's a remarkably extravagant claim. Like, there's a big, big language that he's talking about here. You know, you might be struggling to make ends meet you might feel like you are, you know, you're nowhere in, in your career. You might feel like you're at the very bottom of society. And hey, the Bible doesn't deny that as being the truth for now, but it also says that whilst being that, you are also right at the very top. You are seated higher than anyone else in the universe. Are you confident in who you are? Are we confident in who we are? Jesus' ascension provides us with confidence that right now, right now, we are royal daughters and sons of God, victorious with Christ. Because of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, we can be confident of our forgiveness and we can be confident of our identity. This is big stuff, but it's one more thing. We're going to track back a little bit. Okay, so prior to his ascension, prior to resurrection, prior to death, prior to all of that, he's just with his disciples. Jesus just chilling, doing his thing with his disciples, having a conversation. And he says to them, look, fellas, I'm going to go. Not like we're here, I'm going to head. Like, I'm going to leave. Like, this, we're, me here, no, I'm gone. Like, at some point, I'm going to leave you guys here. And it's interesting, you don't get a lot of information about like, how they feel about that. But, you know, thinking about it, like, these guys have been with Jesus for years, right? Like, he's, like, called them from nowhere into something. He's given them, you know, he's changed them so much they have different names now. Like, this is massive, right? And he's saying, look, I'm going to go now. It's interesting, yeah, you don't, you don't get a lot of information. But what you do find is a little bit later, Jesus says, look, guys, I know you're grieved by this, but... It is good for you. It is for your good 
that I'm going away into heaven. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, as an aside, like we've talked about identity, we've talked about forgiveness, and these things I think can be important, but I feel like that sometimes they can feel a bit detached from everyday life. They can feel a bit abstract, a bit like out there. But what Jesus is saying is these things, those things, are for your concrete every day, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, like for your concrete good in your everyday life. And he, he gives a, another example of what it means. He says this, that it's for your good so that I can send the advocate. So when Jesus ascends into heaven and he's seated at the throne of God, he then, at that point, he sends the Holy Spirit to the church. The advocate, he says in another verse, he says, the advocate will help you and be with you forever. You know, this way to describe the Holy Spirit as advocate has like multiple kind of translations, multiple ways to, to understand it. You can understand it as supporter, encourager, strengthener, stabilizer, assister, helper. Did I say that? I can't remember. Um, and he says that all of these things will be available to you in the Holy Spirit forever. Which means that we have help in our everyday. We have strength in our everyday. We have encouragement, stability, assistance. All of these things are available to us forever, for the whole way long. You know, I went for a hike yesterday um, up like near Cleve uh, in the afternoon. And... Um, there's a lot of sheep about at the moment, and like a lot of little lambs. I don't know if you've been out for a walk. Um, lambs are so cute. They're just adorable. Anyway, sorry. Um, so these tiny little lambs, and, they're, and you know, mum sheep or whatever. Uh, and when you kind of walk into a field, right, you kind of, you walk in there, and you don't really know whose lamb is whose, whose mum is whose lamb. You don't know, you know, you don't know those dynamics, right? You just don't know. Anyway, so, so, but there's like a whole load of them together, just chilling, doing, the, doing, you know, eating grass and having a good time and stuff. And you kind of walk in, and they eventually they spot you, and then they like stop and they just like stare at you, like, "What are you doing in my field? Like, well, are you a threat?" You know. And then eventually, for some point, for some reason, they like panic and then they just like run. Uh, and it's interesting when that happens, like the lamb will like run for the mum and the mum will run for the lamb and then the mum will stand between them and you a little bit further off stopping and watching again, like, are you still a threat? Um, and it's just interesting as I was kind of walking there yesterday and reflecting on this passage that Jesus talks about, the Holy Spirit coming alongside and being helpful and strengthening. It just made me think, you know, what an image Jesus coming alongside us by the Holy Spirit. Strength, help, encouragement, support, all the things that we might need. Even if we don't see it all the time, if we don't feel like the Holy Spirit's moving in any way, Jesus says that if I'm not here, the Holy Spirit is. It's kind of a paradoxical Thing. It's like, Jesus, you're going away. Why does that mean that God's going to be still with us? Well, because the Holy Spirit is here. 
And he is here right now in this room. He loves us. He wants to support us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. There's another verse in the New Testament where Paul talks about the effect that the Holy Spirit can have on people. And he says it to a guy called Timothy. And he says, look, receiving the Holy Spirit is not about being timid. The Holy Spirit gives us power and love and self-control. The message version says this, God doesn't want us to be shy, but bold, loving, and sensible. Confidence. Not self-confidence. You know, if you're not a particularly self-confident person, that's okay. I don't think I am often either. But we can have a God confidence in the Holy Spirit for our everyday strength, encouragement, stability, support, and assistance. Van, if you want to come on up, that'd be great. I'm going to say a preacher thing. I'm going to say, I'm coming into land. I'm coming into land. And I actually am. Don't worry, I've got like three sentences left. Um, you know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He resurrected. He ascended into heaven and he sat down victoriously over all things. Because of that, we can be confident. This is grounds for remarkable confidence, actually. Confidence that we are totally forgiven. That our status before God is as righteous and spotless. Confidence that we are royal daughters and sons of God. That one day we will share in his rule over all things. And confidence that right now, whilst we wait for that moment, the Holy Spirit is here to bring comfort and support and strength. You know, in that Luke verse, right at the very start, there's a little bit that I actually ended up cutting out, but I don't know why I did. Um, it just said, immediately after this, so Jesus blesses them, and then he, he left them and is taken up into heaven. And it says this, the disciples worshipped him and went to Jerusalem with great joy. I think that's what is most appropriate that we do right now, not go to Jerusalem, but to worship Jesus. And I think when we worship Jesus now, my prayer is that we get to leave this place with great joy because we are greatly, we have great confidence in God.